0: Hello all and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT News of the Week. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino. I'm an editor at Gestalt IT. Joining me from across this great land of ours is the one, the only, Tom Hollingsworth. Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me back, Rich. I'm going through tapas withdrawal after uh, being in Barcelona last week, so I'm, I'm just barely hanging on.
0: And Tom, you were a trooper joining us uh, internationally. Much appreciated. Uh, And I'm sorry uh, that uh, the the Oklahoma tapas situation isn't quite up to the Barcelona level quite yet, I think. Uh, First up here, we're going to start out with a little segment we like to call News or Nah. This is where maybe there's too many stories to cover in full-out discussion, but we want to cover them, talk about them, find out if they are in fact newsy or not. First up here. A little bit more on the consumer side, but definitely something that a lot of enterprise users have experience with. TCL announced it will no longer have the rights to design and manufacture BlackBerry phones after August 31st, 2020. Existing phones will still be supported, and the BlackBerry brand is also currently licensed to OEMs in Indonesia, India, Sri Lanka, Nepal, and Bangladesh. At CES this year, TCL announced its own line of phones under its own branding, so not too surprising that they're letting the rights to BlackBerry slip. Tom, the seeming death of BlackBerry as a brand that you can buy as an individual, news or not?
1: This is tabloid news because it joins Tupac and Elvis Presley <laughs> as people that everybody thought was dead but might secretly be alive but is actually dead. But, but I, be, I don't I don't have much more to say. <laughs>
0: to be clear, though, BlackBerry does still exist as like a, a security uh, enterprise-focused company, but just as, as something you would buy a BlackBerry device, I think, uh, probably going the way of the Dodo. Uh, next up yeah. here... Yeah. Next up here, Microsoft Teams took another page out of Slack's books, going down for three hours this week after Microsoft failed to renew a security certificate. Classic move. This left the app unable to establish a secure HTTPS uh, connection with Microsoft servers, as one might expect. As a reminder, Microsoft offers System Center Operations Manager to monitor for things like, I don't know, certificate expiration? News are not here, Tom.
1: Uh, this is news mostly because it wasn't DNS for once. Um, yeah, I, I think I told somebody on, on Twitter, I, I basically set a calendar appointment the week before all my certificates were supposed to expire. that give me a little bit of wiggle room to get them done. Um, bad faux pas on Microsoft's part, but now we know how much security is baked into their product.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, secure, uh, secure by default there, I guess if there's any certificate issues, I just imagine just one person had a really, really bad day, uh, as a result of that down for about three hours in the morning into the early afternoon uh, on the east coast uh next up here google glass speaking of things uh, that are dead but never die google glass enterprise edition 2 has been on the market for a year but limited for sales through select solutions providers approved by google now google is offering the ar headset to all customers for these price uh being the same at 999 dollars. broader glass availability
1: tom news or not no nah. No, the five people that bought it before, including Robert Scoble, must be very happy to get the updated version of a thing they're never going to use. Um, the the fact that it's been running this whole time in, in enterprises, uh, kind of like as a knowledge worker type thing, should show you where the market for this is. Because let's face it, we've moved on to AR headsets that are going to fail, like uh, Magic Leap.
0: Is this a situation, do you think, where Google was just like, we got like a warehouse full of these things. And if there's like some weird dev that wants to fool around with them, why do, why aren't we selling these uh, to people, right?
1: Yeah, the, the worst part about being a necromancer like Google is you're always raising up the wrong things. <laughs>
0: uh uh next up here i have no transition i was trying to think of something on the fly there but uh, you left me flat-footed with necromancer tom uh ibm ibm announced that Arvind krishna will take over as the company's 10th ceo replacing Ginny ramady the change is effective april 6th jim whitehurst red hat's former ceo will step up as ibm's president Romedy became ibm president and ceo on january 1st 2012 IBM replacing a IBMer that started in 1981 with an IBMer that started in 1990. News or not here, Tom?
1: Well, this is news. And the reason why is because not because they were replacing Jenny Romney, which, OK, I get it. Sometimes you you bet big and you lose. Arvind Krishna was the architect of the Red Hat acquisition. So this is not as much... IBM are being let go as Red Hat is now stepping into the driver's seat. I mean, Whitehurst taking over as the president should basically tell you that he's going to have operational control over this. I would expect to see a lot of news coming out of um, basically a reformation of what IBM is about. Uh, Big Blue's about to go red.
0: All right. And finally, here in News or Not, SAP announced this week that it's committing to support its ERP platform, SAP S4 HANA, through at least... 2040 while also extending mainstream maintenance for its older business suite seven from 2025 to 2027 to quote ease digital transformation i guess some people won't be digitally transformed by 2027 sap offering a 20-year support window news or not here tom
1: news sap is offering a 20-year support contract and I bet you, you have to renegotiate it every five years because guess what? Prices go up. Um, let, this is like Office 365, guys. Do you know what version of Office 365 you're running? Odds are good you don't. You you can't tell me the version number. SAP is the same way. It's just an app that you use. And so by basically telling people, we'll support this for the next 20 years, what we're really telling you is, we would like you to keep using this forever.
0: <laughs> I I mean, it is it is interesting that they need to put out that that kind of reassurance that you can use it forever, basically uh, with that twenty forty deadline. Um, and also interesting that you can buy additional support contracts for business Suite seven through twenty thirty five now, I believe, or something like that through third parties. So interesting there. Uh, that's about it for news or now. Let's get into our discussion first up here. Some minor news, like in terms of how VMware presented it, but seemingly making a lot of waves in the IT community. VMware announced changes to its per CPU pricing model, while VMware will continue to offer licenses per CPU socket. This will be limited to 32 cores. Now, five years ago, no big deal. That's a completely academic distinction. Uh, now, like a different story. Any CPUs with more uh, with more will be required to get a second license. I didn't see if they were for sure nailing it into every 32 cores as another license or beyond 32 cores. Any number that exceeds that is two. That may become relevant down the line. According to VMware's FAQ, announcing the policy, which is hilariously redundant, 32 core limit is designed to minimize customer impact given current core counts, generally used in the industry and by the majority of our customers. The new pricing goes into effect in April, and VMware will offer a grace period with free licenses for customers who purchase licenses on machines with more than 32 cores already. So, I guess stock up on those high-density Epic servers while you can't. Tom, how have you seen the IT community react to this pricing changes, and what are your thoughts?
1: Mm, pitchforks and torches? <laughs> <laughs> um, the Basically, the 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 community is is um, likening this to the infamous VRAM tax that came out. Oh, I'm trying to remember. It's been about seven or eight years ago when uh, VMware announced they were going to start, uh, you know, basing their licensing on the amount of RAM that's in a server. Uh, that was a stupid move, and uh, I called them out for that. Um, but this is actually not a bad move for VMware. Now, before you start stabbing me with your pitchforks, I want you to do me a favor. Go to Amazon and tell me if the rate for a, an instance stays the same, flat, uh, above 32 cores. Now, you're going to have to do a little extrapolation because when they double the number of cores, they also double, double the amount of RAM in there. But let me see here. Oh, yeah, I looked it up earlier. The price doubles, too. Um, I, I got news for you, folks. And this is something that I saw a lot of people talking about on Twitter. Um People were looking at Refresh and said, oh, hey, I was running two 8-core Xeons before. What if I got two 32 or 64-core Epic PCs? Okay, so yeah. So I can get eight times the number of cores for the same number of CPUs. And somebody at VMware went, no. Um, (laughs) This is a non-issue for the majority of people who are operating their own data centers right now because most of them are not looking to do refreshes of sockets over 32 cores. And Rich, I believe VMware's rule was anything over 32 cores would just, it would be one additional license. Okay. But at this point, we don't really have 128 wow. core CPUs in production. So that, that's gonna have to be something that gets tested later on down the road. Um, I'm sorry guys, I, I'm, I'm gonna have to draw a line here. If you're expecting to pack in pizza box servers, with two 64 core Epic CPUs and save money on licensing, you've lost your friggin' mind. You know what? On second thought, maybe VMware just needs to go ahead and rescind this policy and double the license cost for every VCPU license. You know why? Because you're effectively doing the same thing and now everybody gets to share the load. So you can pay for what you're using or you can pay and everybody gets to share in the pain. Pick your poison, guys, because VMware isn't going to stay in business by giving stuff away for free. Uh,
0: yeah, they didn't get rich by writing checks, as uh, Bill Gates said of The Simpsons. Uh, the the yeah. other thing that they said in the the an announcement was basically kind of being like, you know, we could also, you know, a lot of our competitors do per core pricing. It'd be a shame if we had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, moved to that kind of model. So, again, uh, I think uh, these kind of changes are never popular just because it's, you know. It, theoretically, it's an outlay of more money for something that already had a set cost or something like that. But I'm not too surprised. I'm actually surprised that it took them this long. I guess to kind of get there, given yeah. kind of the the ever increasing uh, core density, and, and probably what that means is they were, you know, uh, their analysis was seeing that data centers are going to start doing these refreshes uh, with uh, with these with these higher density cores uh,
1: relatively soon. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, next and though, one more to- note on this, yeah. like like you said. This if you really think that this is bad, that you're gonna you're gonna have to license that 64 core CPU an extra time, go over to Uncle Larry's fun house of <laughs> Oracle databases and ask about per core CPU licensing. And I promise you, if the Oracle Inquisition doesn't kick your door in, then you're a lucky person. So it could be a whole lot worse.
0: That's the thing about the Oracle Inquisition. Everyone expects it. Uh, next up here, the <laughs> VPN product WireGuard is getting fast-tracked into the Linux kernel, huzzah, set to appear in Linux kernel 5.6 release as early as April. This has big implications as the code is GPL-licensed, available on Android, Windows, macOS, BSD, Unix for the three people, iOS and unlike other open source VPN implementations, the code base is concise enough that can actually be audited by a small team or just one person as opposed to a larger team of security experts like some of the other standards out there. The news has already seen some VPN providers like StrongVPN and Molvad VPN switch to support the stack directly. Tom, can you give some context for how this might affect the VPN market and why this might be a big deal?
1: Okay, so this is a big deal because you're basically saying you can have a VPN kernel module now um, and it's all open source, which is great for people who are trying to build VPNs. Um, Think about things like SD-WAN or small IoT devices. Now you can have a lightweight client that runs in memory in the kernel. That's really important. So now, okay, if you're building an application or you're building an appliance and it runs Linux and it's going to support kernel 5.6, if it is not secured by default, you are an idiot. You now have that capability, but when you look at the the land rush of VPN providers who are going to use this new client, that's not news. Because guess what, folks? The client is not the important part. If it's universally supported on every platform, huzzah! It's the endpoint of a VPN service that matters. If you don't know where your VPNs are terminating. You've got a bigger issue. Um, this is one of the reasons why I actually use Proton VPN quite a bit, is because I pick where my ter- my tunnels terminate. I know that there are a lot of other services that advertise, especially all over the internet, and you know they sponsor YouTube videos from all <laughs> kinds of people. You need to know where those VPN tunnels are terminating because that's the decryption point for this. I'm glad that we can edit the code. Base Because it, it allows us to avoid getting um, changes slipstreamed into the packages, which could cause, you know, data theft or branching of things like that. But ultimately, you guys need to be looking at the bigger picture, which is the service that gets wrapped around the client that's now included as part of Linux.
0: I'm just glad that WireGuard makes Linus feel all warm and fuzzy about adding it to the kernel. Uh, it's, it's just nice to see Linus happy. Uh, next As up opposed here, to ZFS. Yeah, this is the ZFS crabby <laughs> Linus. Uh, next up here, Western Digital has been selling off some of its enterprise bits, kind of getting out of a lot of the data center uh, business in general uh, to fit into its longer-term strategy. And they announced that Quantum will buy its active-scale archiving business. WD acquired active-scale solutions when its H- uh, HGST subsidiary bought AmpliData back in 2015. It gets a little complicated on the corporate side. And Quantum's existing Lattice object storage solution are actually based on the AmpliData stack, so the integration uh, should be uh, fairly natural and and an easy synergy there uh, for Quantum. With the sale of IntelliFlash last year, this seemingly closed the door on WD's data center ambitions or significantly scales them back uh, in major ways. Tom, you're not a man of storage, but any takeaways we can glean from WD's retreat from offering DC solutions?
1: Um. You you mentioned that Quantum's technology was kind of built on this already. I think you're going to start seeing that a lot more. Um, a consumer version of this is the Sonos debacle that came out um, just a couple of weeks ago where Sonos announced that they were dropping all support for uh, devices past a certain age. Um, everyone was like, you know, money-grubbing jerks. But the scuttlebutt is, is that the reference architecture that they were using for those devices They went with a different chipset manufacturer, and so the manufacturer of the original architecture locked them out of all the design documents, which means you can't iterate on the platform anymore. I would expect that where you see situations where a third party has a reference or some kind of architecture built on something that got bought three or four times and got passed around inside of uh, a holding group. They're going to want to acquire that technology to prevent like patent troll issues, which I'm not saying would be the case here, but could be down the road, um, and so that they can have control of that architecture. Yes, it's a huge hit for WD in the data center, but realistically speaking, when's the last time you guys were looking at building out certain specific architectures inside of a data center that didn't come wrapped in somebody else's solution, whether it's um, EMC or Pure or uh, vSAN or... Yeah, you know, screw it. Let's just go to AWS. Um, they got out of a market that is going to be more and more like a boat anchor over the next three years.
0: Yeah, and it seemed like through acquisition they had kind of found themselves in this market and you know tried their hand at expanding into it. And this isn't to say that. Um, uh, you know, that, that Western Digital is a, is a company in retreat, I would say it's it's more of an, a, an issue of uh, focus for the company. And in fact, they had a, a really interesting uh, presentation at Storage Field Day uh, just the other week. So if you want to head over and over to techfieldday.com and look uh, for Storage Field Day 19, uh, you can check out their videos if you want to get in on all of their cool high-density uh, uh, storage and all, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, some really interesting applications there as well. Uh, next up here in, uh, in acquisition news, uh, another acquisition news, I guess, um, HPE acquired scitail I'm going to go with that's how we're going to pronounce it. Uh, HPE announced uh, the acquisition of startup in the emerging zero trust security software market. The company was the creator of the Spiff and Spire open source projects, which provide a common language for service authentication. According to Sightail Chief Executive Officer Sunil James, their team will continue contributing to these projects post-acquisition. So nothing really changing there, hopefully, with the the open source side of things. We've seen a few uh, zero-trust security companies at Security Field Day uh, over the uh, last year or two, Tom. Is this HPE stocking up on top security talent or maybe a move into offering this as, you know, kind of a support offering on top of this open source?
1: I would say that they're gonna they're gonna offer it, but it's gonna be baked into some of their solutions going forward. It's just gonna be a feature that gets turned on, and the best way to do that, honestly, is and and we talked about this before. the The model going forward is to continue to offer services and contribute this code because then you can insource that code back into your uh, organization and increase things. Um, this was a good pickup ultimately because it, it gives HPE something to build on. It gives them a service that they can offer. When you look at a lot of the things that they bought over the last, I don't know, 18 months, you know, you kind of wonder, I mean, for every nimble storage, they wound up with Cray somehow. So <laughs> what am I going to do now? Well, if you have a zero trust solution that can kind of knit these things together and provide a little bit of security for backhaul data, and and really a lot of s- zero trust security is not as much as protecting the transmission as it is as ensuring that data is only going certain directions for yeah. governance. I mean, that's a huge deal. And quite honestly, I'm a huge fan of this because I'd never heard of the company before, and it allowed me to spend the week making Dune references on Twitter and showing my <laughs> nerd flag.
0: All right, next up here. um, Speaking to Axios, Intel announced it was dropping development of its own line of neural processors, originally acquired for $400 million with the AI chip maker Nirvana back in 2016, a whole four years ago now. Instead, Intel will focus development uh, forward on the tech it acquired last year with the Israeli startup Habana Labs, citing a strategic advantage of a unifying, highly programmable architecture for both inference and training. Intel will continue to support existing Spring Hill Nirvana chips and systems that are out there in the wild. On the one hand, this doesn't speak well for Intel's long-term planning uh, when it acquired Nirvana uh, a few years ago, but does this hard shift in strategy signal that Intel is serious about neural processors, or does this feel like going back to the drawing board?
1: This is a move for them to double down on neural processing technology that's getting traction. Three years in AI and ML chips manufacturing is like the lifetime of an NFL running back. They're basically kind of at the end right now. <laughs> um, this is, this is what they need to do. Um, they have to pick a horse and they have to, they have to go with it. And this is the one that probably is going to be better for them. Does it suck to have to write down? What was it? Uh, $400 million worth of acquisition costs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I added it up. It's it's one twentieth of an autonomy. If that tells you anything, Hey, HP. Um, but, what, but ultimately what this is going to mean is, is that they can take, it, look at it this way. That's a $400 million investment in an idea that doesn't work. And so we now know how not to build it. So if they can roll that $400 million into Habana and make it work and ultimately get, you know, I don't know, $4 billion out of that, hey, an extra 10% is a pretty good investment.
0: Yeah, and we talked about this acquisition when it occurred and kind of speculated that this might uh, be the case. And the interesting thing is when they acquired Habana, the plan was to shift that Nirvana software stack immediately over to their hardware. So it, it isn't quite a start from scratch uh, situation, You know, building up a lot of uh, uh, valuable uh, software assets is just as important uh, on, uh, as the hardware side. It does make me wonder like, what kind of lull there's going to be before they can really start you know producing meaningful systems with this but the market is so is relatively nascent is the wrong word but this market has a ton of room to grow so they it's not like if they're not here this year they're going to miss the boat
1: and i would argue that what you're seeing now is that transference of the software ip into habana from um nirvana wanted to make sure i got that right um <laughs> what's left is the stuff that wouldn't work. Either it's duplicated effort or it just won't work at all. And so they're going to cast the husk off. And what you'll see is a more tight integration. So they've been doing this for since the acquisition, I'm sure. Um, The fruits of that labor should come out soon. But like you said, I mean, if if you don't have a neural network chipset design ready to go in 18 months, you're still in the pack. The, the 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 curve on this is way out there.
0: Yeah, and, and Intel is has a very unique position in that they have a lot of relationships with all of the hyperscalers, cloud providers, and that kind of stuff. So if they have a solution at some relatively recent, or, you know, near term point, uh, they can still probably count on some uptick. Although it is interesting that you know, uh, Amazon and and Google is already doing their TPU stuff. Amazon is kind of making hay about making their own chips. So maybe that market is also, uh, that potential is also shrinking as well. So we will see. Uh, And finally, here, uh, surprising news. In fact, this headline, I saw this story and I didn't kind of realize the implications because it was buried under YouTube numbers. But if you've been trying to follow the public cloud horse race, the big three providers don't necessarily make it easy with their earnings. AWS does a decent job. They break out their revenue uh, on every earnings report for the last, I don't know, uh, two, three years at least now. But Azure and GCP revenue has historically been obscured in larger business units. Uh, uh, Amazon... um, Azure is in with Windows Server, so that's always hard to suss out what's what. And Google has always kind of put Google Cloud into other revenue, uh, which is assumed to be mostly Google Cloud, but has a lot of other components in it as well. Well, for the first time, Google has announced that in Q4, GCP generated $2.61 billion in revenue with $8.92 billion in revenue uh, for 2019 as a whole. Both figures are up 52% on the year, so also giving some historical context there as well. In the comparison, AWS generated $9.95 billion in revenue in Q4, so more in a quarter than Amazon made in a year, but has had, uh, seen uh, growth slow for the sixth consecutive quarter to 34% on the year. So interesting. Uh, I think that growth number has gotten more press than the actual uh, gargantuan amount of money that they made. Uh, Microsoft reported intelligent cloud revenue uh, of $11.3 billion, and like I said, that includes Azure but other stuff as well, uh, but did say that Azure grew 64% on the year. So they'll tell you how much it grows, just not how much it's actually making. GCP, I feel like we can firmly say solidly a number three uh, with, with the figures that we have now, but... Does Google reporting hard numbers say anything else about that business, either confidence or a need to, uh, you know, project something to the, the larger market?
1: So just for reference, for those of you keeping track at home, uh, the revenue numbers were literally a third, no, a fifth of what they make off of YouTube advertising revenue, yeah. which, you know, they split the head- a lot of that, things out. That was the headline. Yeah, that was the headline. Like, like I was like, wow, $15 billion a year in in or $15 billion in revenue for YouTube. And then, of course, this little nugget gets buried down there. Um <laughs> I think the reason why they're doing this is because they're trying to break out certain revenues because I have a funny feeling that there's a regulatory ban hammer that's headed their way, um, on a lot of things. And so they need to be able to position stuff. Um, I honestly don't know what this signals to the industry because when you're in third place, you can afford to take some very big gambles in order to kind of position yourself. I mean, if the options are left or right and you totally want to go right down the middle, if you're the third place provider, nobody cares because they're probably using left and right anyway. Mm. Um, Amazon and and Azure are not going to look at Google and go, you know, we really should start breaking out our reporting revenue. They're going to continue to do what they do. But what this does do is signal down market to IBM, Alibaba, um, Ma. Kettle's Corner Cloud <laughs> and of course everybody's favorite say it with me Larry Ellison's House of Cloud um that this is your number if you want to best us you better beat it and you better beat it naturally because you know what will happen Larry will come out at the next Oracle Open World keynote that he manages to show up for when his sailboats not racing and he will claim that he has more revenue that beats Google Cloud um, but what he'll do is he'll blend in a lot of the stuff that the tricky stuff that he's been doing where he like he counts every Oracle database license as an Oracle cloud <laughs> license. And Google can just sit back and go, Larry, we told you the truth, the honest truth and nothing but the whole truth. Why you got to be like that? And so this is going to ignite that war for everybody that's not, not Amazon or or Microsoft. Or
0: as my prediction for 2020 uh, is I'm going to filter my. My interpretation of this through that prediction is that, uh, you know, there was the report out that if Google couldn't be number one uh, uh, within a certain set period of time that they were prepared to sell off Google Cloud, uh, maybe putting out that direct revenue number all of a sudden lets people know, hey, we got a $10 billion run rate. This is what it's going to cost. Cough, cough, Oracle. Uh, You know, uh, why don't you come at us us with the checkbook? Tom.
1: No. I am a seer. I mean, if this, if this, if this comes true, I am blaming you for the end of society, (laughs) but let's be fair. $10 billion is a drop in the bucket after you've built your secret island volcano layer. This is, this is very true. Uh, and you did
0: uh, put the idea of a, of a, a Larry Ellison spirit uh, kind of attacking me in the night. And that is terrifying <laughs> in our Slack channel while we were preparing for the show. Um, so I can think of no better way to end the Gestalt rundown than on a note of um, spiritual terror. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for being here. And, uh, and for really, I, I do appreciate uh, stockpiling that snark and deploying it strategically throughout this episode. Always a pleasure. Where can people find more of your great stuff if they are so inclined?
1: Well, you know, you can hit the usual stuff. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on my blog and on gestaltit.com. Uh, next week, if you want to listen to the snark live, you can check out the event that we're doing, Networking Field Day 22. That's you know, my heart of hearts right here, because as you said, I am not a storage guy. I am a networking guy. Uh, we got a great lineup of companies. Uh, we got a great lineup of delegates. It should be some fun times. Head over to techfieldday.com, and you can follow along with everything starting a week from today.
0: Absolutely. And you can find me and my writing on gestaltait.com as well on Twitter at Mr. Anthropology. That's M-R Anthropology. And we want to let you know, hey, if you like the show, we're broadcasting on YouTube uh, live now. If you like it, uh, hit that like button thumbs up button, uh, subscribe to the channel. We would really appreciate it. Uh, we're always looking to grow the show uh, and share it around uh, on your social media of choice. Uh, if there's something you enjoy, you know, where I, I think with like our conversation on the, uh, the VMware per CPU stuff, I think uh, is good, uh, good for the community. So share that around mm-hmm. if you enjoy. Until next Wednesday, 1230 p.m. Eastern time, uh, we will be back at that point. But until then, from myself, from Tom Hollingsworth, from all of us here, In the Gestalt IT family, here's wishing you and yours to have a super sparkly day.